is A to Z with Mark Zinno, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and it starts now. Good afternoon. Welcome to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, where today I tell you the proof is in the numbers. Welcome in. We are live here on this Monday right here in Atlanta. Great to be back with you. Hope everybody had a wonderful weekend. Make sure you guys are giving us a follow at Locked On ATL. Of course, I'm at Mark Zinno, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. Great show for you here on this Monday. My good buddy, Matt Chernow from 680 The Fan is going to join me as we talk about a lot of things going on in Atlanta sports today, including the Braves and the Falcons. We'll get to him coming up. Uh, here in just a moment, but I wanted to start today with the Atlanta Hawks and more bigger, the, the NBA conference finals that we're in. And, and I'm going to bring it back to the Hawks, but, and I'm going to tell you guys something you already know, but it bears worth repeating because the numbers just jump off the page of you. They stare you in the face to where you can't ignore it. If you've been watching any of the NBA playoffs, and, and look, Atlanta is a great NBA town. It's a great basketball town. Um, you know, the Hawks fans are, are, are pretty passionate in this city. But this has always been a great NBA town. There's a lot of different fans from the NBA in Atlanta who love all different teams. And so NBA does very well here from a TV rating standpoint, no matter who's playing, because, well, fans here love the NBA. That said, uh, I have closely been following these series due to all my work in the sports gambling industry and, and dissecting them eight ways to Sunday and so on and so forth. Um, you got four teams in the NBA finals, in the final four, in the conference finals. Uh, and if you want to know who they are, in the East, it's the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat. And in the West, it's the Golden State Warriors and the Dallas Mavericks. If you bothered to look at any numbers during the regular season, if you looked at the top four teams in the regular season, of opponent points per game allowed, number one, Boston Celtics, conference finals, check. Number two, Dallas Mavericks, conference finals, check. Number three, Golden State Warriors, conference finals, check. Number four, the Miami Heat, conference finals, check. When I said I was going to tell you something you already know, I'm going to tell you something you already know. Hawks. If you don't get better on defense, if you don't try to get better on defense, if you don't even make an attempt to get out of the mid-20s in defense, you're never going to be at this point. And the more I see something like this, the more I look at last year and go, it was a fluke. That's what I think. The more I see this, I think it was a fluke. And why I think it was a fluke? Let me just pull up the 2021-2022 postseason stats of opponent, point, opponent points per game allowed. You ready? Okay. Number one in the playoffs, Miami Heat, 97.5 points allowed. Number two remaining team, Boston Celtics, 101.8 points remaining game allowed. Number three remaining team, the Dallas Mavericks, 101.9 points per game allowed. Now, Golden State falls off a little bit uh, as the the number 11 team overall in uh, the postseason. But again, they did play two high-scoring teams in Denver and in Memphis. Aside from that, the point is clear, that if you'd like to get this thing called an NBA title, if you'd like to hold a Larry O'Brien trophy and say it's ours, you got to play defense. 
You got to do it in the regular season, and you got to do it in the postseason. It, it, that, it, it's that simple. So it goes back to the discussion we had last week with Chris Kirshner of The Athletic. I don't know how this team gets better defensively without one of two things happening. And probably both of those things need to happen. Number one, the star on this team and the best player on this team needs to put energy, effort, and focus on defense to make everybody follow. That's you, Trey Young. If you don't want to do it, fine. Go be a secondary player somewhere else. But number two, without a massive change to the roster, how do you get better defensively? I don't know the answer. And I would tell you, 2A or even 3, I don't know if Nate McMillan is the guy to force defense on this team. I mean, as Chris Kirshner told us of The Athletic, it's pretty telling that in 18 years of coaching, Nate McMillan's made it past the first round twice in his career. One of them was last year as an interim coach. There's probably a reason for that. Again, I know it sounds like I'm saying he should go. It feels like I'm saying he should go. I'm not saying he should go. I'm saying he should change his focus. I'm saying this whole organization needs to change its focus. I'm saying you need to get him players that focus on defense and have him focus on defense because that's what gets you to the conference finals and that's what gets you an opportunity, an opportunity to go play for an NBA title. Proof is in the pudding. Go look at the Boston Celtics. All they did on the road to the conference finals was take out the number one best player in the world in Kevin Durant and the number two best player in the world in Giannis Antetokounmpo. Would you like me to flip those around? Fine. The number two best player in the world, Kevin Durant, and the number one best player, Giannis Antetokounmpo. That's all the Boston Celtics defense did was take out the two best players in the NBA, bar none. If Golden State would like to get to the NBA Finals, all they got to do is take out the best player in the postseason in Luka Doncic. And should I even bring his name up right now to Atlanta fans? I'm not sure we want to talk about Luka right now. Well, Luka's made a conference finals, so is Trey. And we're back to, and this came up last night. Boy, did it ever come up last night on social media. That whole, uh, who got the better end of the trade deal? I'll say what I've said since day one, and I think it holds true. Luca is the better player. I don't think that's debatable. He's the better all-around player, right? He's a better rebounder. Um, he's certainly a better pure scorer than Trey. Trey might be the better shooter. He's certainly a better defender. That we know. So Luca's the better all-around player. Trey's the better fit for Atlanta. I don't think that's. I don't really think there's a debate there. And sometimes fit is more important than talent. Yes. Sometimes fit enhances talent. I, I don't, it's not fair to compare them. They're in different situations. It's only fair to compare them off the basis that they were traded for one another in the same draft. You know, I mean, Chris Weber, Anthony Hardaway, uh, you know, those kind of deals. When it's all said and done, these guys are going to be judged off whether they win championships or not. So uh, that's really where it goes. But, you know, Luca's beyond impressive. He's he's going to start to be the perennial MVP every year conversation. And oh, by the way, all the Heat had to do to get here was take out one of the best young players in the league in Trey Young. And then, oh yeah, 
go take out the guy who probably should have won MVP and Joel Embiid. So it's, you're not going to be able to go up against teams like that. And oh, by the way, the East is so much tougher of a conference now. You're not going to be able to go up against teams with players like that and play mediocre defense and expect to win in the playoffs. It does not happen. And if it does happen, it doesn't happen for more than a series. Right? So last year, you could get past Joel Embiid to the conference finals. But you ain't getting past Giannis. Not without some high-level defense like the Celtics exuded in seven games in a meat grinder of a series. The proof is in the numbers, Hawks. I don't know what to tell you. But if you're watching any of the NBA playoffs, Tony Wrestler, and you're seeing what's going on, and you're not going, I want that, you know what else you don't get to say I want? That trophy. Because you won't get it. All right, coming up next, my good buddy Matt Chernoff will join us uh, from 680 to Fan. Hear him every day on Chuck and Chernoff. We've got a lot to go over, including uh, the Hawks, but also the Braves and the Falcons. It's going to be interesting because I want to talk about the Falcons. I kind of see what Arthur Smith is doing here, and it's getting a little bit curious. I don't want to say it's interesting. It's getting a little bit curious. We will discuss that and more coming up right here on A to Z on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Search Locked On Sports Atlanta. We'll be right back. Welcome back into A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast search, Locked On Sports Atlanta. Again, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Locked On ATL. I'm at Mark Zinno, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. Joining us next is a man who literally needs no introduction. He is everything Atlanta sports. Uh, he's, a, he's a good friend uh, and a former colleague, but, you know, it's uh, these bonds, they, they they stay tight between us. Let's welcome Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fan. Chuck and Chernoff here to the show. Matt, good afternoon. How are you? Whoa, God, there I am. Zen, good to see you. How are you, buddy? I'm doing well, man. It's always good to talk to you. Think Things going well in, in Chernoff land? I mean, listen, if I complained, who would care? Everything's fine. I would. All I care about is how Zen is doing. A to I Z know. is what I care about. I want to hear about every A, B, C, D to Z. Yes, all of it. It's it, it's super important. So uh, hopefully you can draw some more listeners to this program because nobody listens when I talk. That's for wow. sure. Wow, jeez. I know. You know how it is. You know how it is in this industry. It's tough here, Maddie. We're, we're all just trying to make our way in the world today. I've heard all stories. Right. Uh, <laughs> the Atlanta Braves trying to make their way through the NL East right now. Uh, and look, heading into the last homestand, they had a chance to get above 500. If they took two of three from Milwaukee, swept the Red Sox, and took two of three from San Diego, they would have been a gain above 500. And that, to me, would have sort of felt like the signal that they had turned the corner. That's some tough competition, at least with Milwaukee and San Diego, teams that you likely may see in the postseason. And I would have felt like things started to turn in a different direction. We had some yuckness against the Red Sox, some more yuckness against the Padres. And now we have yuckness about Ronald Acuna and everyone's screaming he shouldn't have come back, blah, 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 blah. I mean, you know, because every injury in baseball is connected to the last one you had. So um, it is what it is. But how quickly can the Braves look like a playoff team again? How quickly? I mean, that, to me, that they have to answer that question. If there's such a thing as a World Series hangover, Zen, it looks like they're playing with it at times. I mean, this weekend's an example. This was elementary stuff, watching them just boot the ball around the infield. I mean, gift runs to the Padres on overthrows to first base or Austin Riley not scooping balls at third. So these are little things that we don't complain about until you watch them on display for a full weekend against what looks like a pretty good Padre team. Do they have the talent to still do that? They do, but they're just playing a sloppy brand of baseball right now. I almost wonder, I don't know how much meetings matter and, and you know, players only things. Like there's a lot of guys that have to look at themselves and realize we're not playing up to our potential on, I don't know, of a 26 man roster. Half the roster hasn't played up to their potential to this point. 
I would tell you this, and I said this before that last homestand, that my guess is, and ready for this when the Braves are back above 500 again permanently, I'm going to tell you when it's going to be. And here's the date where I'll get nervous if they're not. But write this down on your calendar. All right. Wednesday, June 15th. Circle that date on your calendar. Because here's what's going to happen, right? They're going to go play this road stand against Milwaukee and Miami. They'll get Philadelphia and Miami back here. NL East games are always toss-ups and tough. they got to go out to Arizona, which is a team that's a lot more you know, competitive than we thought. Then they'll travel to Colorado, who is good, but their pitching staff is an abomination. They get the bad Oakland A's, the bad Pittsburgh Pirates here at Truist, and then they get the horrible Washington Nationals. By the end of that series on June 15th, if after the A's, Pittsburgh, and Washington, they can't win enough games to be above 500, that's when I'll officially hit the panic button. Because at you that might. point in time, yeah, that, at that point in time, after that nine-game stretch, it's like, wow, if you can't take seven of nine from those teams, there are some real systemic problems with this team right now that need to be addressed. You might be right. Now, the one thing we all can't keep doing is falling back on last season. Well, they didn't get over 500 till the end of July. Now, part of the reason that mattered is because nobody in the NL East was good enough to pull away. You know, we, we know the Mets have played at, at a high level. I don't know if they'll stay in it, but they're playing at the high level. Uh, here's two, uh, two issues. Number one, they haven't played well against bad teams. I mean, they're 8-10 and 10 against under 500 clubs to this point. They lost two games to a red team that left Atlanta, won one more game for the next three weeks, right? They, they played average against Texas. They happened to win a series against the Cubs, but they haven't been able to consistently do anything. Like an example of what I'm talking about is this weekend against San Diego's in. They had leads in the seventh inning in two games and the eighth inning in one. And the only game they won took sort of a miracle comeback in the eighth inning after giving away one of the leads. So everything you said might be right. I don't know what the date is to start panicking and start being concerned. I'll say this. The team we're watching right now looks nothing like a playoff team. They just don't consistently hit. They strike out too much. Now you have the defense. Uh, like, no, this today does not look anything like a playoff team. Not that I'm connecting the two injuries, but I still felt like they rushed Acuna back because they were seven games behind the Mets. I mean, you have to assume that the Mets aren't going to play 700 baseball the entire year. And even if they've come back to earth a little bit, I guess they're only playing like 670, whatever it is now. But regardless, I just felt like they rushed him back, like they put more emphasis on those series with the Mets than they needed to. I mean, it could be. I mean, I – I don't think teams do that as much as we in, in the fandom and the media world think. Like, I think the Braves brought him back when they thought he was cleared health-wise. Whether or not his bat was ready was another discussion because he had no spring training and a very short rehab stint. Uh, I, I don't know. Can, can you point to the groin injury being anything connected to the knee? I, I have no idea. The knee is, is sound. Like, they've looked at that over and over. Ronald plays a style that is sort of a football style in a baseball player's body, right? He's yeah. going to steal bases. He's going to take extra bases. He's just going to play a certain way. And he said, I can't, you know, tweak or pull back on what I do. I play this style of baseball. The fun thing for the fan is I wish more guys played the style that Ronald played. The dangerous part is it's going to come with injuries. It's going to come with him running into a wall or, or tweaking a groin or some of this stuff. I don't subscribe to they brought him back too early. I don't think a team brings a guy back too early. If the doctors say he's structurally sound with the knee. Then you bring him back depending on when his bat is ready, and they thought that was the time. I don't have a huge issue with that. Yeah, me neither. One more. And I, I'll ask this question at a macro level. It's not necessarily about stats. Do the Braves miss Freddie Freeman overall? They might, and there's no question it could be brought up. But, Zinn, I would say this. They had Freddie a year ago at this time, and they were doing the exact same stuff. Like they That's were at fair. the same place. Yeah. Here's what I brought up on the radio one time, and I'll bring it up here. I think they miss Jock Peterson. And I know that doesn't seem to add up the same way the Freddie thing. Jock brought a presence with him, a badassness, a, 
a, a culture, uh, stuff that I think cannot be measured in just pure OPS and analytics and those type of things. This is a very sort of vanilla baseball team with a bunch of good guys, um, likable guys. But who's the guy that's going to get up and go, you know what, MFers, we're better than this. Like, this is ridiculous. And I'm not saying it has to be the movie version of turning over a water cooler in the clubhouse. But you know what I mean. There are certain kind of personalities that you need. They they allow you to have fun playing baseball. And they allow you to get your mind right about the game, which is a grind. You know, you can get sucked into slumps easily, yes. and, and uh, they sort of beget one another. Hitting begets more hitting, but just like bad play begets more bad play in baseball because you're around each other for six months every single day. So I, I agree. I think there is a certain amount of, of, for lack of a better term, joviality that this team is mm-hmm. missing right now because of the pressure of being a World Series team. You know, I think also it's, it's a Josh Donaldson type from a couple of years ago. Josh yeah, is quirky. Absolutely. Josh is weird. Josh is a little different. Um, I think you have a lot of guys that kind of gotten in their own heads here a little bit. Dansby is, is an example of that throughout this season. Um, you know, th- there are some fundamental parts of this that are just not going to change. They strike out at an alarming rate. So that hurts you in playing comeback baseball. That hurts you in putting big innings together because you can't keep rallies going. Like that, they struck out 38 times this weekend against the Padres. So that, again, fundamentally, I don't know if that's going to change. It has to improve slightly. But when I say guys aren't living up to what your expectations are, Duvall hasn't, Ozzie hasn't, um, Dansby. You know, Dansby hasn't, uh, Olsen, who got off to a great start, has been fine, but Austin hasn't. Like, you can go up and down the line and pick a bunch of these guys, and they're not getting that stuff from these guys the way they got it when they turned things around a year ago. 100%. We'll keep our fingers crossed. Told you, June 15th. That's the date. Write it down. All right. Um, let's, uh, let's switch gears here to the Falcons, because I just want to get one or two things out. You know, I, Look, we know this team is going to struggle, right? The question for me is how competitive are they going to be? I'll say this much. I keep seeing these under-the-radar moves, which Arthur Smith is doing. Now, I'll sit here on, what are we, May 16th, and tell you, I'm curious. I'm curious why he keeps signing every single 6'4", 212-pound receiver he can find. I want to know what he's going to do with all these guys. I want to know what the plan is. I can kind of sort of guesstimate and see what he's going to do. Look, all these moves could be complete disasters, and they could be a 3-14 and team when it's all said and done, and nobody would be surprised. But I don't know. Maybe the FedEx guy's got a little bit of a plan here. Like, maybe he understands something that they're trying to, you know, turn turn, turn the uh, their card counters at the blackjack table. They're trying to turn the odds on the casino, to quote Billy Bean from Moneyball. Um you know, I, I kind of see where he might be going with that. Am I off on this? No, I don't think so. If you're looking at the receiver room, it's pretty clear he and Dave are going to have their plan of, we want to play basketball on a football field. Yeah. And maybe that's somewhat to do with Marcus Mariota and maybe Desmond Ritter, who has had questions about accuracy. So if I'm going to put it in your direction, if you're six foot four Drake London, or you're six foot six Kyle Pitts, or you're – I like the Brian Edwards move. It's like you said, a below-the-radar, six-foot-three, third-year receiver – who I think will get opportunities here. They signed Auden Tate, who nobody knows from the Bengals, another six foot four receiver. So I, I, I like the plan of we're going to box you out on short throws because we have big guys. It's going to help us in the red zone, and we're going to high point balls because we don't have the most accurate quarterbacks. I, I like that philosophy. You could do worse in this wide receiver room than they've done right now. And I even oh, didn't, I didn't even mention Cordero Patterson. I think is going to play more receiver this year. There's another big body, six foot three guy. So I like the plan. Now it's a matter of can you run the ball to to help the pass game and can you protect the quarterbacks? Those two things I don't know yet. 
By the way, you heard it here first. Tyler Algier is a week one starting running back. Barring an injury, okay. he is the week one starting running back. Uh, and when they let Mike Davis go, that's exactly what they were telling the world because Cordero is not a 12-15 carry no. guy. He's a 6-8, you know, kind of carry guy. Uh, but, you know, your third down back is going to be Algier on third and one. And, and clearly – Nobody else in that running back room has any much more experience than he does anyway, so it's not about well, that. I could see Damian Williams mixing in with that, but I have no problem. If Tyler Algier separates himself during you know, camp and then during uh, preseason, maybe. But I think Damian Williams is going to mix in there, and there'll still be some Cordero Patterson. But to the point, you can use him in so many different ways that it, it almost sort of bogs him down if you do have him carrying the ball 8, 10, 12 times, take some of the pounding he would take. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you to put your – GM slash owner slash head coach hat on. Uh, what is Matt Chernoff's plan for Desmond Ritter? Sitting and watching. I, I don't have high expectations for Desmond Ritter. I'd like to be pleasantly surprised. And this is a third round pick for a reason. Desmond Ritter, if, if we go by history in the NFL, he will be the exception, not the rule. If he happens to A, become the starter and B, become a big time starter. Like everybody points to Russell Wilson. There's a reason we point to Russell Wilson. He's the ultimate exception to the rule. So my expectation is he should watch. He should watch for a while. Now, he will play because Marcus Mariota will get hurt. Marcus has always been a guy who's had trouble playing a full season. So that will happen. But Desmond Ritter, I, I, I think Desmond Ritter's a passing fancy. In other words, he's here. I set the over-under on starts at less than 20 in his career. I am not going to bet on the exception to the rule. You don't find your starting quarterback in the third round typically. Maybe this will be a lucky instance where they did. I'm not counting on it. No, I, I agree, but I, I think it's it's incumbent upon them to figure out if he can play one way or another, because what the quarterback crop from next year, at least allegedly, and, and so much is going to happen between now and then, we have no idea what it's going to shake out and look like, but allegedly there's a, a whole crop of young quarterbacks coming out who are better than this kid at this point in time, but you got to figure out if he can play. I mean, like you said, he's going to get an opportunity. Now, if it's me and I'm eyeing the calendar and looking at the the schedule, you know, obviously you would look at the post-Thursday night game because you right. get 10 days after, or the bye week. Now, unfortunately for them, both of those happen very late. It would be week 11 or week 14. I did say this much, though. Here's the date I circled. I'm circling a lot of dates on the There's calendar. A lot of dates, you, know, yeah. Yeah. you know, listen, I, my, my date book is full. Don't tell my wife. Um, but nonetheless, I look at the week eight game against the Carolina Panthers. They're back home after Cincinnati. So they get Carolina. Then they're home again the following week against the Chargers. And then they get Carolina again four days later after that. So my point is in doing that is that it's rare that you see the same opponent 10 days apart, but at least you'll get a chance to understand the kid's growth curve and growth possibility by playing the same opponent 10 days apart and seeing what he can do and understand what, what adjustments he can make. That to me seems like the opportune time to hand him the ball and say, here, kid, it's yours for the rest of the year. Now, again, with the start of the season, that's if they're two and five, right? Or one right. and six. Right. You know, it's just time to make a change at that point. What do you keep running Mariota out there for if you're in that city? Now, if you're three and four, maybe things are different, but I'm assuming, given the toughness of the front of their schedule, that that may be an opportune time to do it. No, I don't think it's a bad time at all. I mean, if you think about again, it's on paper, and the NFL has taught us many times we can be wrong about what we project. That schedule looks brutal. Like that looks like two and five, one and six. I can't, I can't rule out zero oh and seven just based on the way the schedule looks. So if that's the case, one of two things: a, it's easy to replace Mariota with the, the kid and say, "What do we have to lose?" The other one is, if Marcus gets banged up in week three, are you going to then say to Desmond Ritter, "Get in there, kid," against that schedule that we just talked about with an offensive line that you and I both know is still going to be in transition? 
with mm-hmm. a run game that we don't know what to expect from, I don't think it's a very good scenario. And I get your point that you want to evaluate him. But with, with the surroundings that they have, I don't think it's a stacked deck to really get an idea of what he's going to be as a rookie. Typically, let's say he was a third-round linebacker or a third-round tight end. Then we wouldn't say, well, we have to know what he is in the first year. And I know the quarterback no. position is different. Right. But the likelihood is you're not going to find answers you like in the rookie year of Desmond Ritter with this talent around him. No, you're not. But again, you threw it happens all the time. They threw Trevor Lawrence to the Wolves. Hell, they threw Joe Burrow to the Wolves with a with a a rookie. Um, uh, what's his name? Not AJ Green was coming off the injury. Um, Tyler Boyd was the only mm-hmm. legitimate receiver on the team. And who's the other guy? T. Higgins yeah. was a rookie that year too. So he didn't have anything around him either. And he had a bad offensive line. But what you could see is that he made games competitive. He could play. I'm not asking him to win games. I'm asking him to make plays and keep things competitive. Even if it's for a half or three quarters and they end up losing it in the fourth quarter, I'm fine with that. But I think it's obvious at this point we can see when guys can play and when they can't. I would agree. You could see some skill set in them that you like. You could see some stuff in them you like. I wouldn't expect it, though. I I would be more pleasantly surprised if you find, wow, this could be a potential long-term answer. And You can go around the league and do the exception to the rule thing with Dak Prescott in the fourth. You can do it with Russell in the third. You can't do it a ton. Like, you really can't find many of those answers. And those guys, I think, walked into better situations. More talent around them, more things in place, more stability. Uh, Here's one scenario that I brought up that I would not rule out. Marcus Mariota is 28 years old. Marcus was the number two pick in the draft for a reason, and he is healthier than he's been. Now, I told you I think he'll get hurt because he always gets hurt. If he happens to stay healthy and plays up to his potential – there's a chance Marcus Mariota could have a better year than anybody wants, which I don't know if that's a good thing because that would end up winning you yeah. six games instead of four games and, and potentially hurting the long-term plan. But Marcus Mariota, you can do a lot worse as a bridge quarterback than Mariota, and I think Arthur Smith having the success he did with Ryan Tannehill, I don't think it's past his mind that Marcus Mariota might be a longer-term answer than any of us want to address. All right, one more. Uh, and I know we're going long here, but I don't get that much time with you these days, so I want to maximize it as much as possible. I miss you. <laughs> I know I miss you too. Atlanta Hawks. Uh, the top four team, the four remaining teams in the NBA were the top four defensive teams in the league. Yep. I don't think I'm telling anybody anything they don't know and saying they have to figure out a way to play defense. I would say one, it's incumbent on Trey to actually put effort into it and make other people follow him. If you want to be the star, you want to be the big boy, start playing on both ends of the damn floor and make your teammates follow you too. I don't know how they get defensively better without a major roster reconstruction. Because you just don't have the players who do it. If you're telling me they do, then I look at the coach and go, you're not the guy to do this because clearly you've never emphasized it. So what is the the, the short-term fix if there is one? Well, there's a lot there. And number one, Trey will never be much of a defensive player. Like you said, get in front of somebody when it matters in the playoffs. And I will tell you, his defense wasn't as bad as it's been in the past. That's a low bar. So I think sometimes we just get stuck. And his defense will never be good, but it was better than it has been. So that's one. Two, yeah, your, your point on trying to reconstruct a roster to, to cover up for Trey, that's always been part of the issue of having your best player be a six-foot-one point guard. This is Detroit Pistons bad boys of the late 80s and 90s. This is AI with the Sixers in the early 2000s that you have to thread the needle to have Clint Capella. That's why they went and got Clint. Uh, DeAndre Hunter hasn't been the defensive player they thought he was. He's been good, not better than good. They drafted Cam Reddish for the same thing. The problem is Cam had an idea that he was going to be the number one scorer and not the things they asked him to do. Uh, You can go up and down this roster and you can see the reasons why they're not good. Now, you mentioned the coaching. Nate has always been a slow it down, emphasize defense guy, but he doesn't have the roster to do that. 
So I think this offseason is going to be fascinating to see two things. Can they, and this is not easy, can they find a number two to Trey that can take pressure off him in the playoffs when they meet a good Miami defense or Boston, but at the same time find defensive-minded players to surround their scorers with? Travis Schlank's got his work cut out for him, but I will say this, Sid. The best thing going for them is they have Trey Young. When you figure out your superstar at 23 years old, you can figure that stuff out a lot easier than you'll ever figure out how I get a superstar. Try to get the number two piece, trying to get better defenders, hell of a lot easier than trying to find a guy who can score 28 and 10. He's Matt Chernoff. See him, hear him every day on 680 Fan on Chuck and Chernoff. Uh, you're the best, buddy. I know we went late, but thanks for the time. I appreciate it. Love you, buddy. Look at that. You see that? I get I get kisses and everything from you. We'll talk to you soon, buddy. See you, buddy. All right, I'll take time. I'll come back, wrap things up next here on A to Z on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast, search Locked On Sports Atlanta. It's A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast, search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Appreciate you guys spending your Monday with me, wrapping things up here and, and kind of dovetailing on my conversation with Matt Chernoff a moment ago. And I thought he, he said it very, very succinctly about the Falcons. I told you earlier, I was curious. I'm not interested. I don't find it interesting. I'm just curious. Uh, as we mentioned, the Falcons are signing all of these big-bodied wide receivers in these huge targets, and Matt said it perfectly. They want to play basketball on a football field, and it makes a ton of sense. Um, they are Arthur Smith is going about a curious way to solve a very particular problem, and that is I don't have an offensive line that blocks all that well, and I don't have a quarterback that's all that competent and good at the things that the best quarterbacks in the league are. So all I've got to do is make the targets around him as big and as findable as possible in a quick amount of time. And to me, the Falcons may want to dink and dunk the hell out of you. Like, that's what I really think. Drake London is not a burner. Kyle Pitts has speed, especially for a guy as big as he is. But none of the guys that they signed are all that fast. So they're not looking to stretch the field. They're going to dink and dunk the hell out of you. and and. I'm curious to see how the passing in the from the running backs, the, in the running backs in the passing game work out as well. I think when I start to see this, you know, running backs out in the flats or even sort of, if you know what wheel routes are, coming out of the backfield and up the sideline against the linebacker, that's the mismatch they'll take advantage of by dinking and dunking, dinking and dunking. So uh, they may uh, matriculate the ball down the field, as uh, Hank Stram used to say. But that... I could sort of see that being the logic here that it's a three-step drop and release and get it to a spot where the bigger guy is always going to have the advantage. They're not going to get in track meets. They're not going to try to find one-on-one -on -one coverage down the sideline. It's not Mariota's strength. It's not any of these, these pass catchers strength. So I kind of, again, I'm curious and I totally, totally concede that this whole thing could go belly up. These guys could all stick. Like, it's totally feasible for that to happen. The plan could go completely awful because Mariota is that inaccurate and balls are being tipped, uh, you know, and, and guys aren't getting their hands on. You know, these guys who have big bodies might have bad hands, might have feet for hands, who knows? But I, I at least I'm understanding a little bit of the concept of what they're going at and what they're trying to do. Uh, and the, the number of times they get in the red zone, they're going to win every jump ball. Every, every, every jump ball. And they may just say to Marcus, when push comes to sub, just haul it up there, and our guys are going to be big enough to go out, jump everybody, and high point it and find the ball. Like, that may be their total plan going forward for this thing. And, and that's at least offensively how they want to work. Defensively, I don't really get a feel for it yet. As I said, I think 
Evicady next to Grady Jarrett on one side could be very, very intimidating at times for certain teams. But offensively, I'm starting to see it. Like I said, I think it's a heavy dose of Tyler Algier and, and Cordero Patterson when they get him. But, you know, Cordero, as Matt said, may go back to the passing game more now because you're starting to see what they're starting to do. Quick little slant routes, you know, five-yard comebacks and uh, spots where Mariota can, can miss and doesn't have to be perfect but still get a positive result. So basketball on a football field, interesting. Maybe because our basketball team isn't as good as we want them to be. Our football team would be better at basketball. You never know. Uh, one final note here. I uh, I spent yesterday uh, at the Atlanta United game, uh, and I will just say this much. Folks, it's a great environment. If you haven't gone, go. It's worth it. I mean, you know, uh, it's a lot of fun. The games are exciting. They're quick, too. You're out of there in under two hours, uh, which is fantastic. And uh, it's a lot of fun. You know, so if you haven't done the Atlanta United thing, and I'm not the biggest soccer fan in the world, you, you soccer nerds out there, you guys always get mad at me every time I say something bad about soccer. That's fine. But I enjoy the game. I enjoy the atmosphere. It's fun. And I did wonder out loud when I saw the crowd, I go, I wonder if there will be this many people here for Falcons games this year. <laughs> it's a pretty good crowd. I'm not going to lie. It's a pretty good crowd. Uh, but they do like, you know, cover off the upper deck. So everybody is at least in a concentrated area. So when you put the upper deck open for the Falcons games, it might spread out a little more, look a little bit less. So I'll at least acknowledge that much. All right, make sure you guys hit me up on Twitter at Mark Zinno, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. Leave me some thoughts on the show. Share the links with your friends. I tweet them out every day. Instagram out as well. I'm at Mark Zinno on IG. Follow me there. If you'd like to see pictures of my crazy kids and my family, that's really pretty much all I put up there. And my golf swing as of late. That was a good one I did the other day. Anyway, but give me a follow both on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and I, as I said, I send out the links every single day. So make sure you retweet them, share them with your friends, download and listen, subscribe and like, do all those things. Uh, follow us on the YouTube channel at Locked On Sports Atlanta as well. Uh, we got a great crew here and, and we're really building something. And we've already passed a thousand subscribers in, in, in about a month. So you guys are awesome. Keep spreading the word. Keep liking it, subscribing. And we're going to keep putting out great content every single day. They, thanks for making A to Z your first listen. Every day right here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Now make hitting hard with John Chucker your next listen. The ATL Sports Stalkers are doing everything when it comes to Braves, Hawks, Falcons, Dogs, whatever it is. You know John Chuckery is hitting hard every single day. It's free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Back tomorrow for a Tuesday show. Appreciate the time today. You guys have a great day. Don't take any crap from anybody. See ya.